You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3AM. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM Pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so, submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. Welcome to 3AM. 3AM. 3AM, where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3AM is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. By the power of three combined. (laughs) Yo, what's good? (laughs) Welcome to this episode of 3 a.m. If you are new here, we're stoked to have you. Stoked. Bunch of best friends. We tell first and second hand scary stories. My name is DJ. My name is Charlie. And my name is Sean. A gang gang. <laughs> I dude. Sean flew in last night. A from, from where? From from London, England. Oh, crikey. How you freaking going, mate? <laughs> Wait, what the hell? <laughs> Why did we go Australia? <laughs> was it good in it? Dude. <laughs> Dude, it was it was pretty as as I dude. as I it's, it's just like, yeah. well, you probably wouldn't even have liked it. Dude, tell us more. Okay, <clears throat> so I flew in first of all, and I was supposed to catch a flight immediately after to go up to Scotland for a few days. So between the time that I got my boarding pass before I left from L.A. and the time that I touched down in London, <laughs> the small airline that I had booked that flight with went bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> So they did not give me a refund, nor what, did they. Really? No, just shit out of luck, mate. <laughs> oh, shoot. And I'm like, well, I got an extra couple of days in London now. I'm sorry, dude. So you just lost your money, and they were like, sorry, dude. I lost my money, and it was within 24 hours, so I lost my Airbnb money. And I had already booked a bus to go up to Loch Ness, which was 60 bucks. So I lost that oh, money. That's like the worst case scenario. And <laughs> I didn't have an Airbnb for those two days in London, and I couldn't do it with the one that I had previously booked because it was booked for that day. Did you just like find a hotel tonight or something? I found a random Airbnb that was like a couple miles down the road, hmm. which actually turned out to be in the wrong direction, but I didn't know that yet. <laughs> Yeah, north, south, east, west are different over there. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's I just like, like picked this one. It's like, that's 30 bucks a night. Let's do that. <laughs> that sucks. Oh, so Sounds like they got financial coronavirus. <laughs> you were supposed to go up to the Loch Ness, right? Yeah, that's what I booked the bus that for. Sucks. I was, that was one of the things I was most excited for. 
And now I'm just going to have to go back sometime. Oh, well, there you go. go to Scotland and Ireland. And I kind of want to go back to England and explore around England as well. So what did you do to fill your time? So that first day, I kind of just explored in and around the area, but it was also a pouring that day, Mm. the day that I landed. And it was like at 1 o'clock. Yeah. So half the day was already over. It must be pretty good for the fires then. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Oh, my! you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So I kind of just explored in around where I got my Airbnb, but it was also raining, so I was getting soaked just trying to be outside. The next day, I went into London, explored one of London's most haunted locations, the Tower of London. The Tower of London? Tower of London. So Is that like by the London Bridge? Yeah, it's right by the it's between London Bridge and Tower Bridge. Mm. It's supposedly one of the most haunted places because executions, death, like because it was one of the places where they would be at and when people would come and fight them, they would have to get over the walls, but they would end up dead. So <laughs> lots of people dead in the area. Jeez. I did not see any ghosts. It was during the daytime, and the ghosts, obviously, you know, they come out at night. Mm. So Sean did take a ghost tour. Oh, my gosh. So this day, actually, I go to London. Out, it's the London Underground Experience. And I was supposedly... That sounds promising. According to the d- the detailed description on their website, said that I was going to explore the crypts below London Bridge. How many people are there? What kind of people? So there was, let's see, a mom and her daughter, two couples, and me. Oh, perfect, dude. <laughs> you fit right in. <laughs> and first of all, they had like, they walked you to... Th- three different rooms, which were all dramatized, take you back in history to see what happened at this point in time. Jack the Ripper, like way, way back when like uh, all the medieval warfare was happening and the actual building of the original London Bridge. And then after that, it was a haunted house. (laughs) And it was a shitty haunted house. (laughs) Wait, like... Staged haunted house? A staged haunted house. No. That sucks. I was like, I was upset, but right before you go, like when you go from the rooms to the haunted house, they're like, does anyone want to take the exit? And I thought about it just because I was like, I don't really want to do this because it looks stupid. But then I was like, I can't do this. I can't be the one, the one that skips out on the haunted house. The little house. girl's like, uh, what? mommy, <laughs> check this skit. Yank, <laughs> mommy. He's scared, isn't it? <laughs> what's the what's the UK English word for bamboozled? Mm, I don't know. You've been fucked, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Platform not a through cause. <laughs> you think this is a joke? You think you're funny, ain't it? <laughs> Happy Christmas, Ron. <laughs> so by the time I got out of that, I was upset. <laughs> At a lot of things. Dang, that sucks. On a scale of 1 to 10 production, was it like Universal Studios or Spirits Halloween costume store? I would say it's just like a average haunted house. Mm. That so, they throw up during Halloween or something? Yeah. Hmm. So me expecting to go into the haunted crypts below London Bridge to this? I was like, God damn it. Yeah, like those haunted houses are, are fun. At face value. Except for I'm by myself with a mom, daughter, and two couples. And I'm like, the fuck? 
but this is not what you're going into. If you have like, different expectations. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And especially if they started the tour with like, it sounded like some cool stuff like Jack the Ripper history. Yeah. No, they had the some actual artifacts Bridge. in the little like waiting room. Yeah. Where they're the guy. I asked the guy because I was there first. Um, before all the other couples and mom and daughter showed up, I asked him like, "Hey, what is all this stuff?" And he's like, "Some of it's like just to give you an idea of like what happened at the time, but some of it's like legit." One thing that was there was a letter from one of the Jack the Ripper suspects that was written to the guy that he was employed by, that he was also supposedly employed to get rid of bodies for this other guy. Dude, it was dark, bro. The thing is, you went through all of that, and then. Everything was like delegitimized, like yeah. by some yeah. cheap ass. But yeah, exactly. By, yeah, it just cheap haunted house. Teabagged you with a sour taste, <laughs> and that yeah, I was. It's all done. <laughs> <laughs> Enough history. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm like losing my. I'm like getting less English. <laughs> That's enough history. It is. <laughs> yeah, do it. I have a question for you, too. Okay. If you could know or you could have any case in history solved, which murder case or disappearance case would it be? So we have Zodiac, Jack the Ripper, John Bonet Ramsey, any other ones you can think of? Zodiac's the first one that came to my head. The first one that came to my head was John Bonet Ramsey. Really? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Hmm. What about you? I could, first Jack the Ripper. My head was Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm being dead serious. That's hilarious. Bro, this is trippy, bro. So we'll all cash in our wishes and tell each other. There we go. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Those synchronicities, bro. But seriously, though, like JFK. Ooh. That's a good one. It's a big one. Well, we already kind of know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anything else from England? What's, um, what's the best thing you ate, worst thing you ate, or anything like okay. that? Okay. I legitimately ate fish and chips every day that I was there. Oh. Hell yeah. Brother. Bro. Brother. Hell yeah, bruv. <laughs> <laughs> bruv. I love my fish and chips, bruv. I had a fish and chips probably daily when I lived in Australia, and it's because they use a thing called chicken salt. Oh, what? Which is essentially msg <laughs> it's just straight msg that you put on everything and it tasted so dude good. i love msg yeah. <laughs> i had msg the whole time i was in asia oh yeah it makes everything taste dude, way better magic syrup magic syrup is where it's at yeah dude throw that on everything <laughs> oh yeah also i went to stonehenge which i posted mm. that is trippy like why? like we think about it but then when i was there i was like damn why is this here these fools don't even have wheels yet. What the hell is this? All I can think of is the uh, Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> the yeah. 80s music. Bro, aliens. Maybe, I don't know, dude. But like, it was still trippy being there and seeing, like, this is kind of weird. Mm. And knowing it came from 8,000 BC, but why? Dude, I have a question. How do magnets work? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> and then the last thing that was kind of really important was I took a ghost bus tour as well. <laughs> that sounds dope. Hoping was it a double-decker bus? It was a double-decker bus. The, the red ones? Blind. Dude, this one was a black one. <laughs> oh, shoot. 
that uber black. Yeah, dude. And I was hoping to redeem London of its not haunted status. Yeah. And? Dude, they got some dark-ass history, bro. <laughs> okay, for example, we drove by this one place that looked like a parking lot, and the guy was like, we're about ready to drive by one of the most haunted locations in London. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> He's like, let me explain. This used to be called the Crossbones Graveyard. And then he went into some details. This Crossbones Graveyard was a graveyard for the... What's a nice way to put this? Uh-oh. <laughs> the sex workers of London. The ladies of the night. Ladies of the and night men, is actually what men. he said. Did he really? He did say that. Blimey. Um, <clears throat> and this is where they were buried because they couldn't be buried in any of the cathedral or chapel graveyards. Oh, okay. And he said it's estimated that 15,000 people were buried there. Damn. Now, it was all covered up, and then people didn't realize where it was anymore after, like, hundreds of years went by. And then they started, like... They just lost it. Building. <laughs> they started building on this area. Of course. And excavated, like, an area for a building and dug up, like, 100 bodies in just this area. Damn. And then they started figuring out, like, what the hell is this? They started digging up around and realized there's hundreds and hundreds of bodies just buried in there. Everything from, sorry, from a small baby mm. all the way to these, like, the sex workers that were living there or that were buried there, sorry. Dang. And uh, supposedly, like, like, security guards that would work on, like, this construction area would uh, see figures and, like, spirits walking around. And it was all just super creepy for him. But, dude, just losing a graveyard like that and then <laughs> digging it up when you're trying to build a building. Oh, I was F. like, <laughs> yeah. Now you're, just, now you're just making them mad when they already mad because they didn't get that church burial. Mm. My dad has worked in construction for the past 25 years. And they specifically build pools, waterfalls, spas at all the resorts in Hawaii. The term for it is aquascaping. But almost every time they dig, they find bones, just ancient Hawaiian bones buried. So they always have to call the state and stop construction and figure that out. Right, right. Didn't you say it was like Hawaiian tradition for the royalty that no one knew where their bones were buried? Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. So the bones they'd be finding are all the, the plebeians. <laughs> <laughs> just the lowly. Yeah, 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 those those nobodies. Nah. Um, also, when you were talking about Stonehenge and the aliens, yeah, dude, it reminded me of one of our favorite comedians is Andrew Schultz. <laughs> which go at your own risk, but we think you should check it out because if you like us, <laughs> you might like him. He's like us yeah. turned up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pushing it a little more. I don't know. Uh, he has this bit real quick where he talks about like the pyramids <laughs> <laughs> and people say like who built the pyramids like they didn't have the technology back then was it aliens and <laughs> he says yeah the illegal aliens <laughs> the mexicans and he goes to how the pyramids in mexico are super beautiful but nobody questions who built those pyramids. <laughs> it's like the Mexicans did it. They have great work ethic. Yeah, but the aliens. Yeah. The 
illegal alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, we got to go to the desert. The Jews are struggling <laughs> over there. <laughs> that one was funny. Uh, anyway, you had a good time, though. Oh, yeah, it was a good time. Good uh, food. Good f- Dude, yeah, there was some good food. Like, I didn't know what to expect because some people are like, no, nah, the food is great. But I was like, I thought it was way good. I've heard, like, the UK, like, English food, there's not a lot that's, like, super good. But London is just a like huge a cultural hub. Mm. Bro, so I found some of the best, like, food from other cultures are in London. You know? Yeah. Dude, I had some dank Indian food while I was there as well. I don't even know what it was, but it was delicious. Mm. I, f- I stumbled onto, just, like, walking around, a couple of just these open food markets. Ooh. And I was like, this is sick. Just kind of explored that. And just sampled. open, wet food markets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But anyways, that was, that was basically it. Turns out also that the bus ride, they drove us around, and at the very end, they had this dramatized haunting of the bus. It was, they couldn't help themselves, Dude, I these guess. these Brits can't help themselves. <laughs> I was like, just like, leave it as is. <laughs> one, of the the, like, one of the conductors <laughs> got possessed. No. Um, he had to act possessed? He acted possessed. And I was like, this is unnecessary. Awkward, I hate that. It's like 15,000 <laughs> sex workers. <laughs> buried in one lot like is not enough yeah <laughs> and then <Nah>. the haunting <laughs> <laughs> so yep that was that was that it was fun though i i had a good time i want to go back mm. at some point maybe during the summer next time though because then i'll also i want to go up to you know scotland mm. ireland during their summer and just explore who knows maybe we'll be on tour Anyway, <laughs> anyway, welcome back. We're happy to have you back, Sean. Oh, uh, it's actually been two weeks since we've last recorded. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And it'll be another two weeks until we record again, record again, kind of. So but. I just got back from California for the second time. I went two weekends in a row mm. taking care of family stuff or whatnot. And then DJ is going to be going out of town. When do you fly out? I fly out next week. I'm going to Philly and D.C., you're flying out again, or driving? Uh, we'll see. Most likely driving. But Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Going to the Grand Canyon. Fire. I guess it- I'm also going to San Francisco, so. <laughs> Dope, dude. We're all over. Just all the season, Yeah, Sean's season going to travel. <laughs> yeah, it, it's wild. It's fun. It's a fun time. So I actually got back yesterday from California, and I've been spending the weekends at my sister's house in Kingsburg, California. And my sister and her husband, they're, they're farmers, so they have 40 acres of peaches and plums, mm. and it's mm. beautiful, dude. It's, what's, what's, like, the season? What do you like, mean? When, when do they harvest? Like, when can you? I'm not, I'm not positive. I think, like, June or something like that. It just so depends you, when you start the process. But right now, where they're at in the process is all their trees have blossomed. Mm. So oh, it's, like, dope. the most beautiful time. And I was staying in her farmhouse, and it's a big, nice house. A lot of my siblings siblings came over and we had a fire and Brittany decides to start telling us about how her house is super haunted. <laughs> so the person who owned it before had their elderly mom and dad living there and the mom died in the house. Mm. And Brittany swears on everything that she sees out of the corner of her eye a lady standing in doorways all the time. She says she has never felt scared never felt it was malicious but it's always there and then britney has an empty room that's right behind her bed so like uh her her bed's up against the wall in her room and then behind that is just an empty room 
and almost every night she hears just a knocking. Oh, I don't right behind like her that, head. bro. I know. And she, when she told me, I was like terrified, but she was more just annoyed. She's like, it's really annoying. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> so do you remember when Reed <laughs> talked about how he legitimately sees things in his sleep? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you guys were talking about how you do and he does. So I full on hallucinate in my sleep sometimes. And it's not in my, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not asleep. I'm awake but I still feel dreamy. Hmm. Does that make sense at all? Sure. No, yeah, yeah. The weirdest things I've ever seen is um, I've opened my eyes and my doors wide open and sticking straight horizontal in from the bottom is a face looking at me and then it just starts to move like up the door. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen at an Airbnb, I woke up and I looked up the smoke detector was open and a camera had come out and was looking at us. And right when I looked at it, it went like this and went up in. <laughs> you told me that. What? One of them, I looked over in my closet and I saw just two feet standing on the shelf, like at the top of my closet. So all I could see was like the bottom of two feet standing. Oh, I don't like that. And what happens is I'm awake and I'm staring at it and I'm like, I like jump up and I look at it. And it takes like 10 seconds before it really goes away. And then I'm like, ooh. So I'm sleeping at Brittany's house. Huge California king. Most comfortable bed I've ever laid in my life. Ooh. And I had a stack of pillows to my left where I set my phone and I went to sleep. Damn, your pillow had A1 comfort. Dude. (laughs) Yeah, my phone, it was like on a You tucked it all in. (laughs) Good night. So I like set my phone down, went to sleep, and I always sleep on my side. So I open my eyes in the middle of sleeping, and I see someone sitting on the sides of the pillow, and they're holding my phone open like this, like towards me. Oh! And right when I open my eyes, they drop it, and my phone slides off the pillow behind the pillows, <laughs> and the person ducks. And I sit straight up in bed. Like, Bro, watch this TikTok. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So my heart's racing. There's someone in the room. I sit up and I stare at the pillow, grab all the pillows, and I like throw them to the floor. There's no one there. My phone's not there. My phone is in the bed with me. I'm like, man, that was freaky. So it took me a while to go back to sleep because my adrenaline is spiked, right? Next morning, we're downstairs. Brittany had bought us some, actually James, her husband, shout out James, Bought us the dankest breakfast burritos ever. Uh, so we're like eating breakfast. We're having fun. McDonald's, right? Having fruit. <laughs> yeah, dude. Have you heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> Weird. And uh, Brittany was like, I was just asked how she slept. And she's like, oh, the knocking was so bad last night. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And in the middle of the night around 2 a.m., I don't know how, but my phone fell off the bed. And she's like, I just ignored it and went back to sleep. Bro. And I was like, your phone. Ghost is trying to check their email or something. (laughs) I was like, your phone fell? She's like, yeah. And I was like, I straight hallucinated my phone falling off as well. She's like, what time? And I was like, I don't know. In the middle of the night. I didn't check the time, though. But I don't know. What a nuisance of a ghost. So irritating, (laughs) bro. (laughs) Menace to society. So she said. She's like standing in the middle of the doorway. Well. So like, you know how the ghosts, like, there's ghosts that stay in the corner yeah. and look at you above your bed? Like, that's fine. <laughs> you're you're out of my portals. way. Like, I'm trying to get through. Like. 
So she said she like knows of the old lady, but she's had a feeling that there's also a young child there. Mm-hmm. And that one kind of made more sense for me on why what was happening. Just a kid trying to play some games on my phone or something. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. got any games? You got any games? <laughs> you got Temple Run? Yeah. <laughs> Subway Surfer? Flappy Bird? <laughs> Name some more games. <laughs> Dude, half of our humor sometimes is we get stuck and we just start keep naming stuff. Yeah. You ever notice that? <laughs> Stupid, dude. Stupid. <laughs> I hate us. Uh, not utterly related. Actually, not very related at all. <laughs> I just came across this news article that came out two or three years ago. I forgot the country. I want to say it was like Argentina or something. But this lady who is like 90, 95 years old. They found the fetus of her baby in her stomach that's been there for 70 years. <laughs> I don't know how they got to that point where the doctors were checking up on her, but this is a rare occurrence where <laughs> it wasn't super big, but... Was she, she like had, well, morbidly obese or something? No, or? no. Like frail old, like, what do you call the old grandmas? Frail old grandmas? Not babushka. <laughs> Abuelas? Abuela, yeah. The fetus, uh, why can't I think of the name where they die? Like, Anyway, the, the, this baby died during, she didn't know she was pregnant. Miscarriage. Yeah, she had a miscarriage. Sorry, I don't know why I, could, I had a hard time thinking of that word. There's a miscarriage. It was super early on. And the baby was preserved through her bodily fluids. There was like a thick layer of calcium over the baby. By the time they were able to inspect her, she was too old for them to remove the baby, but I don't know, through the different tests that they had, she had this dead fetus in her Bro. with like this, yeah, that thick layer of calcium, like they had like an illustrator <laughs> draw it <laughs> and it looked like, you know, when you like age steak and butter, <laughs> that's what it looked like. All I can but. think about is like peanut M&Ms, dude. <laughs> The yellow bag, bro. You know what I'm talking about. You bite it in half and you just... The cross-section of your candy. Mm. Mm. Well, with that said, are we ready? We have some good stories today. You good? Anything else to update us? I think I'm good. Let's just go. First jingle you heard was for question time. Second one you just heard. It's for rolling. If you're new, we roll dice. 20-sided die. The highest number tells our story first. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever had a relationship that you're proud of? Proud of because you put in the work. And the other person put in the work as well. Uh, didn't have to be perfect, but uh, effort was made. Honest effort. I think it's definitely more rare to have those types of relationships. Uh, the good thing is with, with therapy, at least in my experience, uh, that's something I've been able to find. Uh, somebody who invests in me, uh, especially when I invest in myself. And we'd love, love, love for you to experience something similar. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Uh, it's entirely online, designed to be convenient and flexible, suited to your schedule. Uh, become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Uh, go ahead and visit BetterHelp.com slash 3 a.m. today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 a.m. 
My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Two. Gang. (laughs) Seventeen. Nine. So the order is Sean, Charles, then me. So the last episode we released was a 3 p.m. with Seth Mitchell. Before that was a 3 a.m. episode where I said that I was going to tell a drug story. Now, I'm going to tell that right now. Ooh. Now, I got this from a Reddit user, and it was an AMA about what is the biggest get the f- out moment you've ever had in your life. And this story came along. And this is 25, 30 years ago. He's 15 years old, and he's just moved to a new town. He goes to school his first day, makes a couple friends with some kids who seem like they're really nice. And they invite him to come hang out at his house like that weekend. So he goes over to the friend's house. They're like playing video games. He mentions specifically eating pizza. And they're just chilling. And then at one point, one of the friends is like, yo, let's go over to Mike's and see if we can buy some weed. (laughs) So he's like, "Ah, I don't know, but then gets kind of roped into it. Mm. So they all get in the car, and they head over to Mike's. Mike Jones. (laughs) Mike Jones. (laughs) So Mike's house, if we'll call it that right now, is out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And... I, he didn't say a location for this story, but for some reason I imagined like a Michigan or Wisconsin type area because of the rest of the story. With that being said, it's also mid-school year, so it's in the winter and snowing outside. They're headed out into the woods. They get to Mike's house, and Mike's house is this trailer out in the middle of nowhere. They pull up. They go and knock on the door. Mike opens it, and he describes him as kind of like this. Like, lanky, skinny, wild-eyed dude, just with, like, tats. And he's like, yeah, come on in. And he's got, like, a bunch of other people there in the in the trailer as well. And this kid, this 15-year-old kid, he's kind of a bigger kid, plays football or whatever. And Mike is, like, kind of, like, sizing him up. He's like, bro, you look like a big dude. Do you, like, fight? And he's like, no, kind of feeling uncomfortable. He's like, yeah, you want to fight me? And he's like... No, but then Mike throughout the rest of the night starts telling people that that kid, the new kid is going to fight him. Yikes. (laughs) So that continues to happen. He kind of thought it was just joking. His friends think that it's joking and they kind of chill there for a little bit. And eventually they're like, they get down to business. Like, Hey Mike, can we buy some weed? And he's like, no, I'll have a drink first. And so he like starts passing out warm beers to the kids and this kid's never drank before. It's so, so sus, dude. So sus. I'm bro. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it's kind of like this prototypical, like, white trash trailer, too. So, like, if you think the trap house that we were living in, but a trailer. Mm. So the couches had to have come from a Goodwill. 
up there on like some cinder blocks for some stadium seating. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just in general disarray. Now, they get offered the, the drinks. The kid's like, I've never drank before. He doesn't tell them that. Eventually chokes down a warm beer, just kind of like trying to get it out of the way. And then like they start like smoking weed and stuff too. So they're all getting high, drinking, all of this. And eventually they ask him if they can buy some more weed to then leave. And Mike all of a sudden freaks out, but he, he kind of directs it toward the new kid. He's like, bro, this kid's a narc. <laughs> and I'm going to need you to strip down to prove you're not wearing a wire to this new kid. And he's A, feeling uncomfortable as fuck <laughs> right now, and now being told he's a narc to strip down in this white trash trailer park in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do that. And Mike's like, okay, well, there's another way to prove it. You're going to smoke some meth with me. <laughs> so he like goes into the back room to go and get some <laughs> meth. <laughs> Casual, dude. Just from alcohol to meth. Real quick. It really like is a gateway drug, dude. <laughs> Dare is right. One giant step for mankind. Just <laughs> say no. But anyways, he heads into the back, and now this kid is kind of like trying to, he's trying to figure out a way to get out. But there's like this crew that's already there that's standing in the way of the door, stuff like that. He noticed that down dark hallway to the other side of the trailer that Mike went is a laundry room and then this door that looks like it's boarded up. And so without thinking about it, he runs down this hallway, kicks the door, and it busts open. Oh. And he jumps out into the snow and just starts running. And as he's running, he can hear Mike yelling. And then all of a sudden, he starts hearing gunshots going off in the night. He starts running. And he said that it was moonlit enough to where he could kind of see where he was going. He tries to get back to the main road, but then stay off of the road so mm -hmm. no one could see him. But it's also snowing. And just like two feet of snow, and he's wearing jeans, just soaked jeans now at this point. Dude, where are his homies? He so, like barely knows these kids. He, the kids well, he didn't know that are still in the trailer, as far as he knows. So he is like off this ro main road, just trying to get as far away as he can. And he sees like a couple cars go by. He doesn't notice any that are Mike. He's hoping that at least like a cop car will go by. He can tell him what's going on. And then they can at least get him home. And narc. That's what he was thinking, bro. Huh. Now, so um, Mike is right, dude. So <laughs> deserve that. Um, he sees this car coming up slowly, much slower than the listed speed limit. And he kind of peeks over the snowbank to kind of see who it is. And it's his friend's van. So his friends somehow got out of the trailer and they're now going home. He kind of waves them down as he noticed that there's no one else in the car besides his friends he came with. Okay, that's what I, I was. I was worried that Mike was in there. He runs to the car, gets in. They drive away, and they're like, right after you ran, Mike and his friends freaked out, jumped and started chasing after you, and then you got back on the main road for a little bit, so they lost you because there was no tracks on that main road. But then when that happened, we ran out the main door because all of the people who were blocking it were gone, and we just took off and then parked somewhere. And then once they thought that area was clear, they came after him. They picked him up, never went to go buy weed from Mike again. But then a few weeks later, Mike and his homies were busted, 
by the police. They came over and just like seized a bunch of drugs and threw him in jail. He said that years, years later, he was working at a random store in this town and he sees Mike come into the store. And he doesn't know if he recognizes him anymore because he kind of like grown a beard, stuff like that. Hmm. And eventually when Mike comes to the checkout, he's like, man, you look like a big kid. You like, you fight? Oh my gosh. And that was where he ended that story. That was the last thing he included in his story. Dude, I wonder, what about the gunshots? What do you mean, what about them? Like, did, they, did the friends explain the gunshots at all or anything? Like They didn't explain it. They just said they came chasing after you. I assume that they just were... Dude, Mike is not chill, bro. Not chill at all, bro. As 2017 would say, no chill. <laughs> so that's his biggest... GTFO moment. Hmm. Something's never changed, dude. <laughs> Something's never changed. I don't want to be a stickler about drugs and stuff. Like, do your own thing, you know. <laughs> Try to like, yeah, yeah, manage your whatever. But having said that, every situation, every party I've been in, and there's substances there more than alcohol and weed, things just escalate so fast. Yeah, yeah. So one time we in high school. One of my friends had a large house, and right next to her large house, she had a very large pool house. And they were really fun. It was always chill. We were dancing. Back then, we were crumping. <laughs> <laughs> we were jerking to the new boys. That's Whoa. not sexual. <laughs> I'm sure some of that went on. Anyway, You liar. <laughs> you never catch me. Um, and then it started getting bigger and bigger, right? And I was always the only sober one running around just making sure everyone's not dying, things like that. DD, bro. Yeah. Well, one night, someone's older brother gets invited, his friends gets invited, and all of a sudden, 70 people are there who I don't know. And these fools, everyone in there was like my classmates and stuff, and then all of a sudden, everyone there has like neck tattoos. (laughs) They were like locked out vatos. There was like dudes with shaved heads, stuff like that, like. It was getting sketch. I'm running around stopping people from stealing. I stopped several groups from doing a ton of cocaine in the bathroom. And while I'm doing this, trying to figure it all out, making sure everyone's okay, someone tells me that two dudes are getting into a fight out at the pool. (laughs) I run out there, and these two dudes are screaming in each other's face. And they are like, they look hard as hell, you know? And one of them I know is the younger brother of like, a straight up gang member. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and at one, I, so I like jump in the middle and I'm like, yo, 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 let's chill, let's chill. Like no fighting, no fighting. And he's like, I'm going to stab you. Like he pulls out a knife and threatens to stab him by the pool. And I'm in the middle and I'm like, yo, let's chill, let's chill, let's chill. It's all good. It's all good. And the dude who was like, stab me then takes his shirt off and like starts running up. He's like, stab me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Basically, what happens is hella homies run up, grab them, and take them. But I had heard later on those two had settled up somewhere else. Anyway, I don't know any about that. Whatever. <laughs> that whole story was just to illustrate, like, it's all fun and games until it's not. And Bro. when it's not, it happens fast. And it's easier to just avoid those situations, in my opinion. From zero to meth real quick. Yeah, bro. I have a friend who just had something similar like that happen this past weekend. What? Yeah. 
they were just having a party get together, a few friends, 15 people. And then as the night went on, more and more people started coming to the house, people she had never seen in her life. And where is this at? In Salt Lake. Oh, South Salt dang, Lake. Dang, dude. And after a while, people are locking themselves in bedrooms, in the bathrooms. People are bringing all different types of paraphernalia. <laughs> Uh, she gets a real bad feeling, decides to leave. She walks out, and she is a minute too late because she walks right into the cops. Oh. And it's a sting op. Oh. Ton of cops wearing vests. They rush into the house. They ID everybody. Half the kids got out, hopped the fence in the backyard, and ran away. Loki, those were my favorite parts of parties in high school. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. always my shoes were always tied. I was ready, to <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. I'd be laced up. Yeah. <laughs> and laced up. Ooh. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. People do whatever they want. Just be no like know your know what you're getting into. Know your drugs. Be safe. Look out for each other. Cool. And that's our message to you. Be safe. Watch I have another one. Sorry. <laughs> I was at a party once in the rich side of town. And before I know it, I'm looking around and like 10, 15 people, I don't think they orchestrated it at all. It was just kind of in the air, just started robbing the house. And someone I know, he's like, well, I'm going to get in on it. So he walked into a room and came out and he's like, I got something good. <laughs> and it was a Game Boy with like, the yellow edition Pokemon game. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, the original. Yeah, bro. And he was like, hell yeah. And like, we get to choose a Pokemon to follow you throughout the game. <laughs> he was so stoked and took off. And I was like, you, <laughs> you nerd <laughs> ass. <laughs> You're a bad person. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, man. Party is a, it's a young, young person sport and it doesn't always end up with winners. Ooh, oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> So deep, bro. Wow, I'm 14 and this is deep. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. and I realized like that advice we just gave too is like if you're in the frat phase, cool, and th- those are probably deaf ears that this will fall upon. But it's well, like, we used to throw hell of parties, <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah. you weren't about to tell us to stop, but I, I, I just be aware. I don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. be well, aware and watch out for your friends. Yeah, so. cool, <laughs> uh, that's gnarly. So Interesting about your burial ground story in England. Ooh, connections? Because that's what I'm talking about today. So my story today comes to us from my Maori friend down in New Zealand. Ooh, okay. And this is something that happened to him and his family. Uh, I want to preface with saying to New Zealand and to Maoris everywhere, sorry for my pronunciation. <laughs> All right, so this is back in 2003, and my friend Zion is about 12 years old. So he has his memory of these occurrences. He's also talked to his father, who filled in a lot of the, a lot of the holes in his, his memory or story. So in 2003, they lived in a remote northern beach in Coromandel, New Zealand. So his dad, he was in the Department of Conservation He was a Department of Conservation Ranger, and he kind of oversaw this area. Now, this beach, it was a pristine sheltered bay, and it was called... (laughs) Waikawao? Waikawao? One or the other. Yep. Waikawao Bay. And he sent me a picture. It's this beautiful bay. 
It's super secluded. It has, it's it's about a mile and a half long, I believe. And at the northern end, there's these dunes. Other than that, on the south end, that's where everyone surfs. They sunbathe. They swim in the water. It's it's perfect. Dope. So in the in the in the summer, it's it's nice and everything. And in the winter, um, the tourism basically stops. There's no one there. So this is where they lived for a season in their life. Now, on the north side, I mentioned there's these dunes. And a section of the north side of the beach had actually been roped off because they had recently found a ton of bones in the dunes. And the bones were most likely belonged to the Maori warriors. And so, like most indigenous cultures, burial sites are super sacred. DJ, you know about that with, like, Tonga. I don't know. I My Tongan friend was just like, don't mess with burial sites at all. They're very revered. You shouldn't disturb them and hold them sacred. I think uh, having, like, heavy emphasis in on family, especially in Polynesia, mm. you know, Ohana. Yep. Whatnot. <laughs> but there's just a huge respect for those who came before you even if they're not here anymore. So Mm -hmm. I think that adds to it. Yep. So like I said, in the summer, it's super busy. There's people everywhere. In the winter, it's basically dead. You know, there's no one there. And my friend always liked that. He said there was no no tourists and no weird Europeans. (laughs) (laughs) And I could just imagine like some weird old European men in Speedos just... Or no Speedo. (laughs) Just Uh, lounging. Leathery skin, you know? Uh I feel... So this is in June 2003, and this is New Zealand's uh, winter. So oh, it's their slow right. season. Yep. Mm. Basically, no one's there. And one day, a Maori family shows up to camp in this sheltered bay. So first day, they set up their tents. They cook their food. They're having a good time. Pretty uneventful. Second day, it's getting later in the evening, so it's probably like 8, 8.30. And the father of the family comes up to Zion's dad, and he says, hey, have you seen my wife at all? Has she checked in? Have you seen her? She went on a walk earlier and, and we can't find her. So Zion's dad says, no, we haven't, but I'll go look for her. So he looks all around the campsites, doesn't see her, jumps on his four-wheeler and starts to go up the coast looking for her. And as he's going north up the shore, he sees a body lying in the sand. Oh, no. No. Rolls up to the body, and it's the wife. And she's seemingly just taking a nap, which is weird because it's dark. It's about 9 o'clock now. So she's going to bed for the night. (laughs) And it's pretty cold out. So he pulls up, wakes her up. She looks at him pretty confused, and he says, Hey, your whole family's been looking for you. You okay? She says, What time is it? And he says, It's 9 p.m. And her eyes get wide, and she looks really confused. So he says, jump on. Your family's at my home. They're waiting for you worried. Let's go home. So it takes her back to the house. Both families are there. She's pretty shooken up, super cold. So they get her into a warm shower, get her some food pretty fast. She's starving. So a little after that, she kind of has had some time to process, and she starts talking to... Zion's mom. And we're going to call this lady Maria. You know, Zion's mom's like, hey, what happened? You remember anything? Kind of hesitantly at first, but ultimately she opens up and says, I was walking down the beach when I saw 
about a dozen people walking towards me in the distance. And I thought it was weird because I hadn't seen anyone out all day. As they got closer, they're walking directly towards me. I realize all of them are men. They get a little bit closer, and I can tell they're carrying torches. And all of them are Maori men. She was really, she was like rooted to the ground with fear. They're coming closer, walking directly towards her. And she realizes they're all wearing traditional Maori clothing from back in the day. They get closer and she can tell some of them are limping. Some of them are injured until she can see some of them are missing eyes. Some of them have huge gashes in them. Some of them are missing ears. One was missing a nose. And what seemed to be like the leader had his scalp removed and blood coming down his face. At this point, they are close to her, walking directly towards her. And out of fear and out of not knowing what else to do, she sort of crouches and almost like sits on the ground. These men walk right up to her and then past her almost as if she wasn't there. And she watches them walk up the dunes and disappear over the top of the dunes. Next thing she remembers is a man on a four-wheeler saying, hey, are you okay? Oh, gosh. Wait, and and what time was she walking along the beach initially? 4 p.m. Damn, that's a five-hour blackout, bro. It's almost like night marchers, dude. You gotta crouch down and piss yourself. No. And these are, dude, these are Polynesians. I am small compared to <laughs> most of these Polynesians. They're like skinwalkers who work out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what these night like, marchers are. Yeah. <laughs> if skinwalkers had like mass gainer pro, you know? Yeah, yeah. Bucked up. HGH, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Vasa membership. If these skinny boys were not skinny boys, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they thick boys. Okay. <laughs> thick walkers. So Maria's telling this to Zion's mom. She's pretty scared. She tells her, I have no idea how I lost five hours. She's genuinely confused. She doesn't recall sleeping at all. Like she does not remember falling asleep. She said, I don't think it's it was a dream. It was just simply too vivid. Like I, I could see it in, you know, it wasn't a dream. So Zion's mom tells her about the recent discovery of bones and the dunes connection to like a burial site. She says, did you disturb any bones? And Maria says, I, I can't remember. So then Zion's mom says, well, I've had a few occasions where I've seen spirits as well. And Zion's mom describes what she sees. And more than once on several occasions, she has seen warriors walking with torches up the beach. So same thing. So I don't know if I'm supposed to be like comforted at that point. It's like, you've seen that too, but that also makes it real. <laughs> it's yeah, like good for not just that. me, but for <laughs> you too. <laughs> Did she also have any blackouts? Did she say? Nope. So when Zion's mom has seen them, there's some distinct differences. She says they're walking or marching rather in a straight line. None of them are injured 
And every time she sees them, so none of them have any brutal injuries. None of them are maimed. And every time she sees them, they usually march up and disappear over the same dunes, exact same place. So Maria does feel better in a way that she doesn't feel crazy. You know, she's validated through this other person's experience that is true. Maria, her husband, her kids, they end up staying at the home of Zion, my friend. They stay there, they sleep, they wake up in the morning, pack all their stuff up, cut their camping trip short, and they dip. They're, they're out. That was the right choice. So Zion's family, he remembers them kind of looking on this experience as interesting and spooky. And he remembers several times catching his mom and dad discussing what they think happened or what, what's going on, right? And that's the end of that experience. Except five years later, so Zion's mom always kind of fancied herself uh, a local historian, right? Always asks the old storytellers, because in Polynesian culture and Maori culture, storytelling is so important. So she would speak with the old storytellers in the village and ask them about what they knew about this area. So she went to the library, did a ton of research on the local history until she came across an account about her bay, the bay where they lived. So she discovers in the mid-1800s, there was a tribe from the north, and they were called the Napuhi. They came from the north in large convoys, and in canoes, war canoes, they would come down the coast in Coromandel, and they would rape, pillage, steal, murder all these small tribes along the coast. And the reason they could do this is they were physically very imposing. They were huge. And actually, Zion, my friend, his lineage is Napuhi. Mm. And he is enormous. <laughs> he actually sent me a photo of me and him on the mission. I look like his like six-year-old child next <laughs> to him. <laughs> anyway, so they would do this. So after so many times, so many years of just being wrecked and demolished by this northern tribe... The tribes along the coast of Coromandel, they go down south to enlist the help of the Natiparo. And the Natiparo tribe in the south, they were way more equipped to handle this type of warfare, right? <laughs> this is how he described the Napui. He said they were physically imposing, they were huge, they were the first to get guns, and they basically didn't give a shit about anyone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... And the, thus was the mongrel mob. <laughs> I, oh, I didn't say that. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so they enlist uh, the Natiporo down south, and they wait. So Zion's mom finds a specific account. In this account, another convoy of warring canoes is coming down south, and they come down to wreak havoc on the, on the inhabitants, right? But they're met by the soldiers of the Natiporo. A huge battle ensues, and basically... All of the Napui are either killed or injured extremely badly. So they begin to retreat back up north on foot. What little is left of the numbers, right? And they get to a bay called Waikaval. Yep. They get to a bay called that where they decide they're going to get to these dunes and they're going to hide, they're going to rest and recover. And so they do that. They march up north, they go to these dunes. But little is known to them that there is a, a 
a small force of the Natipuro who, who think we don't want them to get away. So they follow them on foot up north, up the beach, and they wait until nighttime, until they fall asleep. And what they do is when they fall asleep, they go up into the dunes and they kill them all in their sleep. They finish them off. So as Zion's mother's reading this, many bells are going off in her head. It sounds very familiar. So if I were to ask you, what do you think? What do you think they saw? It sounds like the mom saw the Natiparo going and the other woman saw the soldiers. The Napui? Yeah, who were murdered. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what Zion says, bro. I don't know how to stitch this story up because there's still some unanswered questions. But if you were to ask me, I think Maria saw the spirits of those wounded raiders walking to what would eventually become their gravesite. And I think my mother saw the Natiporo warriors on their way to kill the unsuspecting raiders. I'm not sure why those spirits would still linger, though, possibly as a punishment for their actions or atrocities. I don't know why Maria seemingly passed out and had a vision. I don't even know if the two stories are related. But I do know that back when Maria told us the story, I was both intrigued and shit scared at the same time. <laughs> uh, he then sent a picture of the bay, dude. This is where he grew up, dog. Oh my gosh. So the dunes are like up here. That's beautiful. It's super remote, super northern New Zealand. He has, he has some funny stories about this place. It looks like you got a hike there. What is it called again? You find anything? Yeah, dude. Dude, it's way up north, but like further north than where we went. Uh huh. Because. So, for those listeners who don't know, Sean and I actually took a trip to New Zealand like four years ago, ran around the North Island, South Island. And so we've been around this place, but we haven't been to this place. Next time I go, I'm visiting Zion, bro. So. That's sick. Yeah. But as I was reading this, bro, I thought of the Night Marcher so hard. Mm hmm. I love that. I mean, like Zion said, he didn't know how to stitch this together. But if those stories are related, like both of what they saw stem from the same historical event, that's crazy that they're able to witness both sides. You don't so, hear a lot about that, I feel like. Yeah. You guys are probably right with him. What I thought initially, though, was that the mom or his mom was seeing these soldiers before they died, mm. like an imprint of them before that. And you mean the, like before they got attacked or whatever? Before they got attacked, like them just marching single file up into these dunes. Mm. And then the other woman saw like them post massacre. Mm. The issue though is before the massacre, they would have been going south. Oh, okay, okay. So the mom saw them going north too. Mom saw them both going north? Well, the mom saw them going north, and Maria saw them going north. Okay, I see what you're saying. They would come down, fight, and then come back up, and they followed. Okay, I see what you're saying now, yeah. But it could be, dude. I don't know. And, like, he's not supposing to say, like, this is it, but very interesting that they had both of these visions, these experiences, whatever you want to call it, before their knowledge of that that specific history in that area. I'm curious why they saw the groups that they did instead of like vice versa you know yeah bro when maria mm. first hid from the wounded soldiers or spirits mm. was she out in the open like she didn't have time to hide like she just like tried to get out of their way or did she get to a place where they 
couldn't have seen her. Nope. She said she was walking, and the second she saw them, they started walking towards her, and she was frozen with fear. And they were basically walking right up to her until she got so scared, she just sort of like crouched, sat on the ground because she didn't know what else to do. And they walked right past her Hmm. as if they didn't see her. So she's like on a beach, so it's like, you know. They had to have seen her. I wonder why they just passed her. Like what was their intent of walking right towards her? I mean, maybe they didn't see her. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they were following their same path. Yeah, maybe maybe, it, maybe it's just that's what and she happened they to be. Do. Yeah, like somehow get in that plane. Yeah, I don't know. They're just permanently stuck in that walk. Like you hear stuff like that in other like ghost stories. Like they're permanently there to play the piano or something. I don't know. Relive the last few moments before their death or the tragic moment in their life or whatever. And Zion said, you know, maybe it's. Um, a punishment for their atrocities, like because they they were coming down not doing nice things, you know. They were stealing, <laughs> <laughs> they were raping, they were maiming, murdering, all the bad things. Damn, yeah. He uh, he's talked to me about the Northern Tribe before, and just his stories about how big and vicious. Like uh, he has a distant relative, like a great great grandpa, who was supposedly like uh, ten to twelve feet tall or something, or eight feet tall. Like Zion's like, I don't know, seven. And his grandpa or great-great-grandpa was like eight, nine feet tall. Bro, that's terrifying. That's like King Kamehameha. <laughs> He's known to be like eight or nine feet tall. I believe it, dog. <laughs> anyway, dude, that's fun. I like the culture behind it. I love stories from New Zealand. Or Aotearoa. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Chee-hoo, bro. <laughs> Chee, bro. <laughs> sure, you know. You good? That's me today. All right. I'm excited for this one. First and foremost, because it comes from a listener. Her name's Olivia. She's from Florida. So thank you, Olivia. I actually have questions for this story. Tried looking through our Instagram for Olivia's, and we have a few. And I couldn't find one (laughs) that was posting pictures in, in Florida. So if you're listening... Send us a DM because I have some follow-up questions. Cool. Which I assume you folks would ask as well as I as I go along. But the story it sounds like it happened a while ago. It has to do with her cousin and her grandma. At the time, her cousin was two or three years old, and we'll call her Emma in this story. So Emma, young girl, young young girl. Her mom is at a yard sale, and she sees this cute kind of vintage changing table. They need one. They're looking for one. She thinks this is perfect. Picks it up, takes it home. This changing table, like I said, it's it's vintage. It's old. It looks kind of dated, but that's the only kind of weird thing that they notice. Not much longer after this, while grandma is watching Emma, she can hear Emma playing in the room or one of the other rooms behind her. And she thinks she hears Emma talking, which is not super uncommon for kids, especially if they're by themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it goes on long enough where the grandma starts to pay attention. And Emma sounds like she has imaginary friends. 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 Because she starts talking to them and calling them by name. Hmm. One thing that was interesting is that the names that she was saying, which 
wasn't written in the submission. These names sounded old. Now, I don't know how old, like Josephine old or like Blanche. <laughs> I don't know her old names, like yeah, I don't know. Agatha, yeah. Rettle. <laughs> Agnes. Agnes. <laughs> Dude, I was thinking biblical old. Like, oh, like Zedekiah. Zedekiah. <laughs> Agamemnon. <laughs> yeah. Mahanra Koryankamara. Yeah. <laughs> okay, shut up. Uh, yeah, but uh, they're old names, which is interesting because how could a two or three-year-old know that? But the grandma writes it off as maybe she's heard those names in a movie or TV show and, and gives her a little slack, you know. So she continues to listen and she's still having these conversations with her imaginary friends. She knows, she looks, nobody's there with her. So she takes note of that. Nothing else transpires that day. Later on in the week, grandma's with Emma again. Driving in the car, Emma in the back seat starts talking again. Huh. And grandma says, excuse me, honey, what was that? And Emma says, that's where my friends live. And grandma looks out the window and they're passing a cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> nope this is where grandma starts to really question what's going on oh that's nice (laughs) (laughs) tell him we said hi um in fact uh i don't know if it was this day or later that week but they stop at the cemetery like this is happening frequently enough where grandma wants to find something have Mm -hmm. some type of closure maybe i don't know but her and emma go to the graveyard and as emma gets out of the car she beelines it straight down the graveyard and tells grandma come they run up to a headstone and grandma's catching up and as she walks up to the headstone she gets closer she could see that the name on the headstone is the same name that Emma said. Agamemnon is buried here? (laughs) This happens two more times. Emma goes to two other gravestones, and they are the exact same names that she mentioned days earlier. After this event, Grandma still doesn't say anything to her daughter, Emma's mom, because at this point, nothing terrible has happened. Like if these were actual spirits, you know, they haven't done anything to them. They've been, they've been quiet, you know, for a few more days. Ah, shit. (laughs) A few days after they visited the cemetery, grandma gets sick. At the time, Olivia wrote that she was getting treatments for hepatitis, (laughs) something like that. But Grandma gets really sick, so she's resting a lot at home. Uh, She's not watching Emma as much. But she's just trying to take care of herself, trying to recover from this. She wakes up one night to her husband tapping on her. Is her husband alive? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Her husband is alive. Okay. And she's exhausted. And she's trying to... (laughs) knock him off she she looks at the clock as five in the morning uh, so it's dawn sun's not quite out yet but 
the darkest part of the night is over, but he's tapping on her and she's saying, leave me alone, you know? <laughs> this tapping starts to get more vigorous to the point where she starts to roll over because she's trying to tell him to quit it when her sheets get ripped off of her. So she, she sits up and she's trying to gather herself and her husband's nowhere to be found. Not, not in the room with her. What she does notice is there is her dresser and it's blocking her bedroom door. Uh, yikes. Hell no. That's big yikes. Bro. Yeah. yeah, it's so menacing. When she realizes that and she's coming more to her senses and she's waking up, she starts to hear laughing, giggling, sounds thumping throughout the room. And overall, just this dark feeling, really claustrophobic as if things are closing in on you. So understandably, she starts to freak out. She starts calling for her husband and he's trying to open the door and he can open it a little bit, but the dresser is blocking his way. So she runs, she, she hurries to the dresser to try and move it out of the way so he can get in or she out. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's just desperate for help. As she's doing that, these sounds are getting louder. And she makes the mistake of looking behind her. Uh, And when she does, she says she sees three children standing outside her window, dressed in early 19th century clothing. So she's shaking the dresser. Grandpa, uh, they're both not having any success uh, getting through this door. So she is panicking and she tells her husband, call Emma, call Emma right now. He doesn't see any relation to this. She hasn't said a word about this to anybody. He's like, no, I'm trying to get you out this room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, But after she is just begging him to call her daughter so she can talk to Emma, he begrudgingly obliges (laughs) and, and calls. It's five in the morning still. So the daughter is not awake. So she's all confused saying, what's the matter? Is something, is something wrong? Are you guys okay? She can hear grandma on the other side of the phone. Where's Emma? Where's Emma? And she says, Emma's sleeping. She said, get Emma right now. And she doesn't understand either, but she goes to Emma's room and Emma's awake. The daughter is talking to grandma and grandma says, I need, to, I need to talk to Emma. I need to ask her about her friends. And mom is so confused, looks at Emma and says, grandma's talking about your friends. And Emma replies, yeah, they're at grandma's house right now. So <laughs> grandma panicking, she says, you need to tell your friends to leave. Leave me alone. Crying at this point. Emma then lays back down on her bed and starts to mumble something. Daughter can't make out what she's mumbling. And Emma falls right to sleep. And as she falls asleep, she can hear over the phone that her mother, grandma, starting to calm down. She can hear grandpa consoling her. At that point, all the 
noises, the thumping, the laughing, and the children standing out of the window all start to disappear. After that, they got rid of the changing table, not exactly knowing if that would solve it, but it seemed to have Hmm. because nothing else had happened after that. So this just reminded me a little bit of the wardrobe. Yeah, from one of our previous eps. Bro, what did she mumble? I don't know. Some bars, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I got bagel bites. Come over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Totinos are in the oven. Yeah. <laughs> no, but when you're dealing with children, uh, we've mentioned this before, but children and animals, especially when they're at that age, two or three, like there's just a level of innocence where... What else do you do? I feel like you have to kind of... There's there's most likely something causing that. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Whether it's exactly what they're experiencing or I don't know. But if a two-year-old, three-year-old talks to me like that, I'm definitely taking note. Yeah. You need to tell your imaginary friends that there's actually another little girl next door that they can go hang out <laughs> <Yeah>. with. <laughs> go haunt the Johnsons down the road. <laughs> they assholes. <laughs> But, bro, yeah, we I do had, need to get a hold of her. My favorite part of that story is when she says to her grandma in the car, that's where my friends live. Oh, gosh. She looks out and it's the, the graveyard. And the fact that she walks straight to the tombstones of her friends, Yikes. their names. Not okay. Dude, that's creepy. Is that you tonight? That is me. You have any explanations behind that? No. One thing I thought of... Uh, do you? I was going to say no, but I was going to ask what your questions were that you had that you wanted answered from her. Uh just stuff about yeah, uh stuff uh, um what did she mumble? What were their what names? What were the children's names? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not super pertinent, but okay. I still don't have an explanation for that, but mm-hmm. it seems like the changing table may have been the a catalyst in that? Yeah. That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. I think, and this is just because this is what we grew up with, but one of the famous questions in religion is where do we come from? And Mormons believe that when you like when you die, you go on as a spirit. That's the, that's the first step after you die. You existed as that same spirit before you were born, but then you passed through this we call it the veil of forgetfulness and you get a physical body, you come here and basically you go through life with a fresh, clean slate, build your own experiences, gain your own knowledge, whatever. So choose your own adventure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't, I don't know if I believe this It's just an interesting side note, but people have note, have said, but that veil that, is birth and that veil that is death when people are close to that it's almost like the veil kind of parts a little bit as they say and they start to experience or see or hear things from the other side you know so because children so young they're not that far from coming through that veil if we're going through if we're going with this example or belief that's just an interesting note that they're close to these spirits or things on the other side of that veil I've definitely heard that example outside of the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
But yeah, the veil between the living and the dead seems to be thinner for some people. For some people, it sticks with them their whole life. But for most, it's generally when they're closer to the beginning or the end of their life. Mm -hmm. And Uh, the veil starts to part for them to go through. mm. Yeah, and I feel like there's enough examples, accounts, or anecdotal, like, yeah, accounts of kids and their veil being thinner. Mm-hmm. Or to, even... That to me, I'll fully, I'll say it, I fully believe it. Even people with NDEs, you know, near-death experiences. Oh, right, yeah. You hear, like, people have written books about their experience. Right. Yeah, if anything, it's a fascinating anecdote because people swear by this. People in their right frame of mind. There's crazy people, too. <laughs> you know? But... Yeah, I, I wanted to say I fully believe that it's possible, this experience, but I don't fully believe every experience. Mm-hmm. That's right. what I, I just yeah. want to clarify. <laughs> yeah, Charles believes everything. I believe it all, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, but dude, that's wild. Yeah. And to think that it could be triggered by an object freaks me the F out. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of creepy thinking about that because what if you unknowingly get something like that? Bro, I go antiquing sometimes. I never go antiquing, bro. If it doesn't have a history on that shit, I'm not buying it. Sean's out, baby. <laughs> where was it? Where was it made? In China? I don't want Corona. Oh gosh. <laughs> wow. I feel good. I feel all right. Tonight's been fun. It was good to come back. Good to record. I genuinely look forward to recording. Like yeah. I, when we miss a week, I get sad. Yeah. <laughs> True. I'd agree. I'd agree. I'm happy we're back. Same. It was a good sesh of recording, but to all of our listeners out there, be careful out there. Trust your gut. Watch your back. And bye. Love you. Be safe. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3AM. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so... Submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. So file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months. As a comment. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks' lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. 
However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.